he knows what's going on. So anyways, thank you everyone for coming today. Uh, this is going to be the second installment of kind of pitcher idea, pitcher startup, very laid back, but um, it's just, it's just in place for people in the audience to get a lot of feedback on maybe starting their own company um, questions that investors might ask them. And then also for the person pitching, give them some things to think about. Um, all of this is being recorded. It'll eventually be uploaded. Um, the way the first episode was, was not able to be uploaded. So it's just, there's a bunch of issues around recording, but it'll now be good. Uh, my co-host uh, Wolf Financial is having issues with his audio, but I'm sure he'll eventually be here. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, Spaces is for some reason still messed up but today we have for our first pitch uh we have dividend hero and uh i know we have a couple new speakers as well frank i want to give you give your yourself a little background so if you want to give just a quick 30 second background of yourself so everyone knows as well sure i'll, I'll give the uh 30 second version because more than that would probably bore me and everyone else um uh so frank rotman qed investors uh, been in and around the business world for close to three decades now and was one of uh, the original guard that helped create what became Capital One. So if you know the Capital One story, you know a lot about me. Um, after Capital One, I left to start a student lending company. After building a student lending company, joined up with Nigel Morris, who was the co-founder of Capital One and a good friend, and uh, started our own venture firm, uh, QED Investors. And we started 13 years ago uh, using our own capital to invest in fintech companies. And every year, the opportunity kept getting bigger than us. And we, uh, we were getting more and more confidence as investors. Uh, fast forward to today, and we have about 15 investment professionals. We invest in the US, the UK, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. We just started. Um, we have about 150 investments under our belt over the past 13 years. Um, and we've backed a lot of really seminal companies in the financial services space. So, um, if there's anything in and around fintech or fintech adjacencies, it's something that I know pretty well. Perfect. Perfect. And also, I guess technically this will be episode 1.5, just because the last episode wasn't recorded. Uh, Wolf Financial just messaged me. He said his phone is like totally screwed up, so he won't be able to join, but he is listening, um, from his computer. Um, so with that as well, I want to give the chance for Wolfie to uh, give a little background about himself now that this is being recorded. Yeah, um, a former startup guy, uh, worked at a, I guess, a um, logistics as a service company, and we were acquired, ended up being a product manager at Fortune 500 company for about three years, um, and then just kind of started doing my own thing, investing in um, private, smaller stage uh, companies and seed stage startups, as well as just like trading and investing in general. And um, uh, got a couple ventures uh, in one in FinTech, one in uh, labor uh, markets, and just kind of like the whole space. Um, like, like to collaborate with people who have good ideas and like to invest in people who are passionate about what they do and have uh, solid business ideas perfect perfect and then also my co-host wolf financial does a number of different things but he's currently the coo of wolf financial or wolf app 
which is essentially a FinTwit. And they do a number of different things in the FinTwit community, hosting a number of different spaces um, with a bunch of these guys that are on the, the current speaker panel. And then just a little bit of background about me. Started a couple of companies as well, but currently work at a uh, cryptocurrency exchange and then just do a number of different things uh, in FinTwit and spaces and videos and funny stuff. Um, and so that's a little bit of background about me. And then so today we're going to be having both Budget Dog and Dividend Hero that are going to be pitching us their, I believe, newish uh, newsletters. Um, last last time we did this, we had two separate companies come and pitch. We gave them a ton of, ton of great feedback. And then uh, we were supposed to have another person on today, a uh, 14-year-old girl, actually. Uh, she does a number of different things. She has a YouTube channel and, and some things that she was thinking about starting, but she couldn't make it. So I believe today it'll just be Dividend Hero and, and Budget Dog. And, but if anyone, anyone in the audience wants to eventually come up, you can, you can come up and pitch as well. And, uh, you know, but hopefully this will become more of a regular thing every Sunday. Um, we're just, the hard part is just really finding people that want to come up and pitch. So, um, I'm happy to have both dividend hero and, and budget dog today. So with that, um, dividend hero, I'll start with you. Um, uh, maybe just give a little bit of background about yourself and then, uh, just go into, to what your, your, uh, newsletter is really about. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, so I guess just a little bit of background about myself. I am 23 years old. Um, a recent college graduate um, of Clemson University. So big, uh, big Clemson guy over here. Um, I work for a cloud service provider. So we do cloud hosting infrastructure, uh, backups, disaster recovery, uh, virtual desktops, and then as of recently, we're, we're, we're getting into cybersecurity. Um, so that's kind of where my head's at every day is, is in the cloud world, uh, if you will, um, and more recently cybersecurity. So I'm working on getting my Fortinet certification. Um, it's a big, big industry and a big area I've been learning a lot about recently. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where I'm at in life. And, uh, I, uh, my main investing style is is around dividend growth stocks, and I do own plenty of growth stocks. I, I had to pick a name when I joined Twitter, um, and it's kind of stuck. You know, a lot of people peg me as just a high dividend yield guy. I don't know where that comes from, but it's definitely not the case. Um, I'm certainly open to discussion around all investing styles and methods and <clears throat> things like that. So um, just kind of the name I stuck with and rolling with it, so... Uh, don't be fooled by the dividend uh, in my name. But uh, yeah, so Wolf Wolf Financial reached out to me. Um, me and him have been, we, we go way back. But uh, I, uh, I've recently come out with a newsletter. I actually sent out my first, um, my first newsletter today. So I guess just the, the basis behind it was I've been on, on, on Twitter for just a little over a year. Um, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this, but I have noticed that the content as a whole has been slowly going downhill. It's more about memes and crypto and funny videos and engagement than it is actual content about stock market and investing and financial concepts. And obviously that's more about who you follow 
and things like that. Um, and, and honestly, I'm all for it. I love it. It's great. Um, definitely some great entertainment. Um, but it's, it's less and less becoming a place of, of knowledge and growth and learning. Um, so I, I wanted to start a newsletter um, where I'm putting out good, good content weekly. Um, and I can kind of break away from the, come on, I'm on Twitter all the time um every day and i love engaging with my followers and and putting out tweets and um and teaching people and things like that but i'm slowly finding that that my tweets that that do the best or the way that i grow on twitter the most is is through tweets that just get a lot of engagement and comments and impressions um but that might not necessarily be the the tweets with the most um content and 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 learning and knowledge so i kind of wanted to to break away from that and and keep my focus on that and anybody that wants to to read along with me um and um read the content that i have to put out to, to start a newsletter um so i'll go over the the format of kind of how my first newsletter was um and then just kind of my stance on everything, and then I'll open the the time up for some feedback. Um, but I go over three market moving headlines, so it'll be a a mix of of personal opinions and then research that I do in the headlines. And so my goal is to provide a like a comprehensive overview of what moved the stock market this week. Um, so I'm all for looking at the macro economic aspects of the stock market. Um, just kind of looking at some headlines and breaking them down um, and just saying how that impact the market. And um, I think this week I talked about uh, inflation numbers, CPI number, CPI inflation numbers. Um, I actually don't even know what else to talk about. Um, and then do a stock of the week. So this week, my stock of the week was Teladoc Health. They announced a big partnership with Microsoft. Um, I kind of go into a little bit more details about that partnership, why it could be good for the stock. Um, it is not a buy and sell recommendation of the stock, um, but but m- more so just a hey, there was a big head, there was a big art, you know, this company made a big announcement this week. Um, maybe it's something you guys need to know about. If it's a space you want to invest in or a stock you want to invest in, um, here's some more information about them. Um, and then I have a, a section about. I call it perspectives from a twenty from a twenty three year old, um, but I kind of just want my readers to get a a glimpse into the mind of a twenty three year old, and I don't I don't make it specific about me, but maybe some of my friends that I talk to during the week, or just kind of what people my age are going through. I think this week I mentioned saving money to buy a house. Um, housing prices are crazy right now, and um, a lot of young adults their their big life purchases. Um, are going to be pushed back a few years. Um, and so that's just something that uh, young people are struggling with right now. I live in an area where the housing market's extremely hot. Um, it's very hard to just even find a house at a reasonable price. Um, so any of those big life purchases are going to be pushed back, and that's affecting young adults right now, 23-year-olds. And so I hope my readers can gain a um, some kind of insight into what younger people are, are going through. And um, – and then I just kind of throw some advice in there and just try to keep it um, applicable to all readers. Um, I just want to get some fresh perspectives on uh, personal finance or investing topics. So 
Um, and then I have this little section here at the end of my newsletter. I call it a final thoughts, but just letting people know that um, I'm kind of really putting myself out here with, with this newsletter. I've never done anything like this before. Um, so my, my paid version, I'm starting it at $5 a month. Um, doesn't really seem like much, but I, I want people to invest in me. Um, I can't, I can't promise every week's going to be perfect. I can't promise it's going to be the best thing you've ever read each week, but I can promise that I'm going to put forth effort and that if you invest in me over time, um, that you'll see, um, growth and development in my writing skills, my newsletter skills, my research skills, and that eventually it'll be a high quality newsletter because I'll be doing it for so long. I'll get some great feedback from people. Um, and then the price will raise accordingly. So if you want to invest in me and you want to, um, and you believe in, in the things that I'm saying and, um, you want some great content in your inbox, um, every week, then I would, I would definitely recommend, uh, go ahead and, and check out my newsletter. Uh, so that's all I got. So I, I definitely am open to any feedback. Um, I'll preface it with, I, I do work in sales so I can handle any kind of criticism or feedback or anything. I don't take anything personally. I'm all about personal growth and development. So um, certainly uh, lay into me if you if you got some things to say. Yeah, so may, maybe I'll start. Um, so first, uh, I applaud people who want to get into writing and making themselves better and sharing with the community. It actually is something that you have to practice in order to get good at, and people are now practicing in public, and uh, it sounds like you're going down that same path. Um, so, you know, it, it can be uncomfortable, but I can tell you from experience, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Um, but just listening to your pitch, you know, I mean, it's it's an interesting uh, idea and concept to have you write with some topics in mind. But, you know, I'm kind of left without understanding what the newsletter is about or why people would want to actually subscribe to it. And I always true back to, um, you know, the, the definition of a brand and, you know, people who read a lot of what I write or people, you know, companies who I interact with hear me talk about this all the time, you know, but the most basic definition of brand is a promise that when kept creates preference. And if you're going to be writing with purpose, you have to really think about what you're building, what is the promise that you're making to your audience, such that if you get better at it and you keep your promise, it's going to create preference. And preference means they're going to want to pay you, and preference means they're, wanted, they're going to want to recommend you to other people. You know, when they have a choice about what money they spend and how, they're going to prioritize spending money with you. So I, I would think about, you know, if you're building a newsletter, not just building yet another newsletter about investing, you know, think about what the brand is, what is your unique positioning, what are you going to be building backwards from, what promise are you making to your audience, and how can you true back to keeping that promise on a weekly basis so that over time, you know, as you deliver against it, you create preference. So I'll pause there, but I'm curious if you've, you've thought about this perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great perspective. And I think that's something I want to be really open with my readers about and saying, hey, you know, this is me every single week trying to to build a brand and trying to to find my positioning. And um, if you invest in me and you read along, 
that's eventually going to be revealed. You know, I, I think it's hard to go into, like, like you said, um, a lot of the, um, a lot of writing takes practice. And so, I mean, going into it, I wasn't sure how to approach a newsletter without practice, but getting people to read and subscribe. And so I'm letting people get in at, at a low price. I mean, $5 a month is $1.25 a week. I think that's fairly reasonable for someone that's just right. starting off and just learning. And if it completely sucks, you can unsubscribe and you can, um, and there's always a free version. Um, and I'm, I'm learning to balance the content between the free and the paid. Um, that's a, that's a whole nother discussion, but at least just for my value prop, I'm hoping that over, over weeks as I start writing, I'm like, okay, I'm getting great feedback about, Oh, this is perspective. This is what a young person is going through right now in the market. And, I like his writing style and I like following with him and people are truly investing in me. Yeah. Um, and then as, as so I, go I, on. So I do get that point, but are it, does your newsletter exist to help people make money? Is it to make money over a week? Is it to find stocks that they're going to hold forever? You know, is it about, you know, going along a journey with you and just hearing fun stories um, you, you really have to write with intentionality. And in, in fact, being polarizing is the best way, you know, to identify what you are and what you aren't. You know, good strategy and good, you know, branding and good design is as much about what you aren't as what you are. You know, so you could be the newsletter that you write about a stock and whoever reads it can be, you know, that, that poor schmuck at the dinner party or at the bar that now knows a lot about a stock and can parrot back what you wrote and they can now adopt it as their own view on the stock, you know, or you could help them make money by trading in and out of things, you know, uh, on a daily basis and find, you know, what's hot, you know, that, uh, the community is really deciding to create volatility around, which is really what a lot of the meme stocks are, you know, creating volatility so, to create return. You know, so I, I would think really hard about this. So I think one, I think so, one, one thing that, uh, my my angle is that I'm I'm hoping to develop is more so just a, uh, like what's moving the market every week. What are the big headlines, and what do these headlines mean? I know as a as a beginning investor or just any investor, really, you don't always have time to keep up with the markets, and you don't have time to digest what these headlines mean um, about the the overall stock market. And so, I kind of hope to cover some of the bigger headlines and then break them down into topics people could understand. And then um, maybe some under, under the radar stocks and headlines about some stocks people don't know about. And like you said, uh, get, get people talking um, and then let people do their own research. Um, Cause I'm not, I'm not one to put out any kind of buy and sell recommendations or have people follow me just for my stock analysis. Um, there's plenty of other people that are really good at that and I will point them in their direction. Um, but I don't think that's a role that I can fill. So if I can chime in, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to see what the value prop is. So on the, on the one hand, you started saying you're a 23 year old, uh, just finished from Clemson. Um, I've gone through your Substack. It's pretty limited on a free version so so i don't 
I don't necessarily know what your voice is as a writer or as a content creator in general. Um, and then I, I hear, you know, I'm just going to talk about what's going on in the markets. And, and I want to echo what Frank said. Like is, it, like, is your goal to have some sort of spin that a 23-year-old would have on whatever headline exists or whatever um, story exists that you're covering? Um, and I say this because there's a lot of both free and um, cheaper resources and data that exists out there for just, you know, market music. So I, I, I would agree with Frank. I think, you know, you got to hone in on what it is that you're providing outside of, um, outside of just general market data. Like, hey, it's, the S&P was up and this is why. Um, the second thing I'd say is uh, I, I'm, I hear you when you say it's only $5, but you're not just, so when, you, you're putting, when you're putting content out, doesn't matter what content is, you're not just competing with other people who are putting out similar content. You're, just, you're competing with all of content. So I think as you build your voice or as you build whatever style or preferential style that you have, it's my opinion that more free content that could just wet people's palate for what it is um, that you are as a writer, as a content creator, uh, the better. Because I, I you know, I, I'm going to echo a lot of what Frank said. I still kind of struggle to kind of see what the vision is um, as, as your newsletter grows or whatever. Yeah. Hey, I, I appreciate the feedback. That's definitely something that I'll, I'll take away and, and focus on. And um, I hope that over the coming weeks, I can, I can kind of hone in on um, a value prop and, and why people would subscribe and what, uh, what kind of value I can bring them. Um, and I think my original idea circles back to, you know, Twitter becoming less of a place of, of, of quality content revolving around the stock market and more of a lot of accounts you follow nowadays are, are just hopping on the meme trend or the, or the crypto trend and you're losing a lot of, of quality information. And so I think my original idea was just getting quality content about the stock market week to week in their inbox and that's something that I think I'm missing and a lot of other people might be missing and that I've grown my, you know, I've grown my page. It's over 20,000 now, which, um, I mean, it's just a number. I don't really, I don't really base myself on, on that, but, um, it is what it is. And so I think there's, there's people that, um, would be open to getting that kind of content. And so, I certainly appreciate everybody's feedback. This has been awesome. I've taken a whole bunch of notes, pretty much everything you guys have been saying. I've been typing away like crazy. So um, this really is awesome. And I, and I appreciate you guys giving me feedback. Um, and both Frank and Wolfie, you guys both, I think, did a, did a good job of, of giving feedback that was constructive um, as well as just telling me the truth. Because that's, that's what I need to hear. <laughs> so if anybody else has feedback, I'm all for it. Yeah, I brought up uh, Arnold. Do you have any feedback? Um, no, I'm so, I'm sorry. I, I was more uh, requesting to to uh, discuss an idea, but um, oh okay. But okay. I, I think yeah. Now that you call on me, 
I think um, the whole concept of sort of what is the promise or the delivery um, is, is what's most critical here. Um, you know, many people either read newsletters, uh, particularly the paid ones, um, for a specific action. There's this sort of famous anecdote about what's the job of a product, right? And if you think about it in that context, what is the job that your newsletter is doing? And if you can get really crystal clear on that and convey that directly, like, you know, by reading this, you will get X or be able to do Y. Um, some of the newsletters on Substack and some of the other platforms um, have been very, and in fact, the ones that I actually pay for have been very clear and concise into what is the output that I'm getting um, based on based on that reading. So, um, Chad, I, I see, um, I don't know if you'd be willing to talk or say anything, but I see pop culture is in the audience and he's a writer and he just finished writing a book. Maybe he could have some input on writing if he's interested in saying something. Got it. And while we wait, Gab, are you able to speak? Uh, I think, you, uh, I think so. Okay, there we go. Was, yeah, my phone might have needed some update or something. But who knows? It's it's a wild thing. I'm 24 hours into this fast, so <laughs> you're on an and, you're on an Things Android, are, right? I am on an Android, but I I don't know my other account. Yeah, I haven't had any problems with Spaces, honestly. Less problems than other people for the last little while, but I think my phone just needed to update, so I'm here. Uh, hey, question um, from you, Jeff. Thanks for the uh, invite to jump in and speak. Yeah, I'm. I'm an aspiring writer as well. I've written a manuscript on the math and game theory and contestant performance and biases on the Price is Right game show. And, you know, it took me four months, but I lined up a, a high-quality literary agent who's trying to market the book um, called Decoding the Price is Right to the commercial publishers. And, you know, what this fellow asked me during our first discussion, which was a really difficult question, was, your book sounds really interesting, and I understand why people will want to read it, but help me understand why people will want to pay $20 for it. And that was a really difficult question. Um, it took the conversation a little bit south before I... Um, sort of recovered and brought it sort of north again. And it really was an eye-opening question, which is there's a lot of interesting stuff out there, but there's so much stuff available for free. Um, I follow a couple, you know, economics professors who I've come across on Twitter who are on Substack offering, you know, great stuff uh, for free. Maybe their goal is to get people to pay for it over time. So you just really have to ask yourself, you know, what is it about what I'm putting out there that people are going to pay for and how many people are going to pay for that? And I think other speakers have asked, you know, this question a different sort of way, you know, what makes you an expert on the topics you're writing about and what is unique in the way that you write about them that people will pay for it? And, you know, it's hard to, to get paid for content. I mean, it's not a business that most people are able to go into as a profit-seeking enterprise, at least not initially. I, you know, applaud you on your efforts. But the notion of 
you know, why me and why will people pay for that content is sort of critical to the notion of getting paid for your content. And I've seen that from the book end of things as I've tried to, you know, get closer to a path to market, which I'm, you know, making progress towards. But it's really the critical question at the end of the day. And, you know, keep at it, but focus on answering those questions as best as you can. And, you know, refining your pitch to areas that you can speak to and that people will pay you for the, you know, perspective you provide. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for the feedback. Sure. I certainly appreciate that. And uh, I guess that it's definitely something I'm going to have to have to narrow in on and and find where I where I separate myself from other people and and why they would why they would need to pay for why they would want to pay for my content over over sticking with the free content or 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 putting their money elsewhere. But but don't give up. I mean, you know, you're early on in this process and you have twenty thousand Twitter followers. Um, I have a fraction of that and I have a long way to go after sort of starting late. So, I mean, you have, you have sort of the raw material there. So just, you know, work on refining it and work on, you know, figuring out where it is that you think you can differentiate yourself and may take time. But I think, um, you know, I'm more positive on sort of the prospects for, you know, anyone that can get 20,000, you know, followers who isn't sort of in this business day to day if you can sort of do that then you know you can probably figure out how to create something with unique value yeah and i think that that was part of my mindset going in is if if people believe in me this much that uh i can figure out writing a great newsletter and i'm pretty open about the fact that this is i've never done anything like this before and, and i'm learning and I, you know, every single piece of feedback, I really hope to learn from and, and, and take to heart and, and figure out how to apply it, um, to what I'm, to what I'm going for. And so, um, I, you know, I started this Twitter account just over a year ago and I never thought I could make it this far. And so I think I'm just letting people know that, Hey, I, I can't promise it's going to be the best thing you're ever going to read. Um, but I can't promise you consistent effort. Um, and that one day this will be a great newsletter to read and this will be something you're going to want to be, you're going to want to be involved in. And so I think that's part of a big part of my messaging is it's not great right now, but if you're going to invest in me and you believe in me and a lot of people have over the past year that, uh, that I'll, I'll make this something great too. Love the message, Ross. Um, real quick, I'm not sure if this has been touched on because my sound was in and out before. Have you figured out kind of like who your target reader is and then how you're going to approach them, find them, and convert them? Um, I have not thought about that, to be completely honest. Um, I mean, target reader is someone who follows me on Twitter, I guess. Um, no, but but honestly, I hope I hope people... I hope it's people who can relate to, to things that I'm saying and can relate to my perspectives. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to appeal to everybody. And I understand that not everybody's going to subscribe and, and that's fine with me. I don't, I don't take that personally. 
Um, but hopefully it's, it's people that can relate to my perspectives and um, maybe like, you know, are my age and, and feel like, hey, there's this 23-year-old and, and these are the things he's saying and experiencing and um, that's that's going to be worth their time to read and, and invest in. And so um, in terms of, uh, of getting people to to paid subscribers, I think I think right now most of my paid subscribers are, are people that have followed me for a while and and want to support me, and so I, you know I certainly do I do appreciate them. Um, I think over time I'm going to learn um, about just pushing out free content and, and giving people uh, a taste of my writing style and and why they should invest in paying me, and then over time get to, you know getting those free subscribers into paying subscribers. Um, because if you went through the effort of, of signing up for free, you're at least interested in what I have to say. And so hopefully you eventually see my value prop and we'll be like, all right, this is worth paying for. Let's subscribe. All right. I want to, uh, I think we gave a uh, dividend here, a ton of great feedback. I want to make sure we're able to go over to budget dog and then hopefully Arnold can get a chance to, uh, pitch his, his idea as well. Um, budget, go, budget dog, just give a, uh, quick background of yourself and then, uh, get into your pitch, sir. Yeah. Thanks guys for having me. Um, in great presentation, Divin Hero, that was awesome. Um, so I'm Brennan Schlagbaum, otherwise known as, but, uh, budget dog. Uh, so I'm 29. Um, I am out of the Cincinnati area, graduated from L university of Louisville in 2014. Um, went on to pursue my CPA and the big four accounting at Deloitte. So I'm there currently as a manager and I've been there for about five to six years. So I guess my initial transition into social media was not really expected. If I'm being honest, um, I kind of had the corporate mentality of, you know, I wanted to be a partner in the firm and that was kind of my, my, um, the route I was going to take, but I kind of switched, um, in the last two years to the social media presence, um, after kind of going through my own journey. So, Dating back to about six, five, six years ago, we had over $304,000 or $304,000 exactly in debt. Uh, part of that was the mortgage, but it was a big balance at a young age to look at. Um, and we got on a really, really detailed plan and we went, you know, balls to the wall pretty much and up to, up until right now. And as you guys saw tonight, maybe um, for some of these that follow me, we have about $23,000 left on the mortgage and we're paying it off um, this year. So that should be done soon. And so that's going to wrap up about five years and $304,000 paid off. Um, we are also investing just a little disclaimer. I know there's a lot of hot, hot debates about the mortgage payoff. So I do want to say that um, during this process, but anyways, so I created my, you know, budget dog, social media and all that kind of stuff um, as a result because I saw the impact that it provided us and everything that, you know, from 23 to 29, the situation that we were put in today because of what we did was something I can't even put words around. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. Um, it's going to allow me to take a big career shift in the near future. And um, I want a lot of people to experience that as well. So with my products and service, I do, I have consultations, I have, books, I have products, every, I have free resources. Those are all in my link in my bio. The big one I want to talk about is what I recently released. And 
that's called budget to financial freedom. And so that is a budgeting course specifically. Um, and why this thing is so special is because, and why it's so near and dear to my heart is because it's what we did. It's exactly what we did. Um, and it's not me just kind of giving you another budget course saying, Hey, you know, cut that, cut that coffee out. Like that's not the goal here. The goal is to use it as a spending plan, um, and learn how to truly budget without restriction. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, they go to budgeting and they think boring or restrictive. And I think at the end of the day, it's only allowed us to be, um, less restrictive and just more detailed and more, you know, mapped out. So my, my course is, um, in a nutshell, it's, uh, through Thinkific. Um, it's a really cool, it's kind of like teachable. If you guys have ever used teachable or, uh, I think it's called Kajabi or Kabaji or something like that. Kajabi, I think it is. And tr just this really cool course outline, uh, very, very sleek. Um, it's got, on the left-hand side, it's got the entire table of contents, walks you through in a very detailed manner, um, very well organized. And it just has a lot of insight into what we did personally, as well as how you can create your own budget. And that's the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway is it's not just information, it's practical, um, downloadable content that you guys can take away with your budget template, um, amortization schedules, balance sheets, and understanding the whole financial picture um, behind creating your own plan. So that's in, in a nutshell what the what the course entails. What, one of the cool things also about the course is as you go through, it's more so a community within a course. So we have a, a it's a free community attached to the course, but it's not within. So course members that go through the course have lifetime access to the course if I add any additional modules to it but also they have lifetime access to um, the community. And so a lot of people go through the course one time. Um, they may even go through it twice and they, you know, they make sure they don't miss anything or maybe, you know, listening for a second time always helps. Then they go to the community, and they'll post questions. Um, it's kind of an engagement group uh, supporting each other, trying to get people through, you know, to the end, you know, people, you go through challenges, right? As you budget and as you go through your financial plan. So, it's something good to have um, kind of like a support system, really. And so that's what um, the, the community is really built to do. Um, and so we've seen a lot of success with it. We've had within just a month, we have over 360 members in it. Um, so it's been taking off. The, the engagement's unreal. Um, another thing about the course in, in the you know, actual course as you're going throughout it, there's discussion boxes. So if I'm talking about a specific topic and you're like, okay, well, my situation is a little different than yours or, you know, my situation kind of entails a little extra stuff here. How do I actually address that? You can actually put that in the discussion box and I'll have access to it as well as all the students. And so, like I said, kind of back to the community aspect, we all work together to help each other. So it's not a Gumroad course. Um, it's not a downloadable little um, template that you're just going to download for $15 and uh, go on with your your day. This is a really detailed three-and-a-half-hour uh, video module course with downloadable content and a community built behind you. And it's inspired me to create this because, again, what it's actually allowed me to do personally has been tremendous. Um, and so with that being said, um, I, I invite – open feedback, any, any questions that you guys have. 
I am limited on time, guys. I do have like eight minutes, um, so I was a little fast in that, but um, I'll open it up to the crowd. Yeah, I mean, the, the question that I would ask is a really basic one. I mean, it sounds like you have something that's working. Uh, you have something that's resonating. But do you know what game you're playing? You know, are you trying to build a business with millions of people and a huge community? Or are you trying to build, you know, a lifestyle business where you're involved personally and, you know, a few people around you to build out, you know, the coursework and manage the community? Um, you know, just understanding what you want to do with this is critically important because, um, you know, depending on the path that you want to take, there are very different ways of building, um, you know, building the business out and taking the traction you have and trying to leverage it. Yeah, that's a good question um, and comment and, and all that. Um, I think in general, my, my goal with this is really to build my own school, right? So this is kind of step one. My goal is to continually create courses and not just a course that you kind of see through Twitter or Gummer, like I was saying, like this is a very in-depth um, practical course that somebody really can take value away and create their own product, their own budget or whatever. And I want to do that with other ones as well, like investing or child investing down the road. And so as I scale out, my goal is to hire, hire some people within to run the communities um, to keep that engagement going, because at some point in time, I'm going to be too busy to always be there for every, you know, every comment and every, um, you know, response within the community. So the community, the, the course is done, right? The course is going to be there, um, pre-recorded, everything's good, but the community aspect of it, um, as we build this, the, the school, essentially, um, the online digital school, I'm going to be building out a team, um, to kind of take over, responding to people, um, getting back to people on time. And that's going to evolve with time, right? Like I don't have every answer in the book. Um, I I've recently, like I said, this is a two, I'm going on two years, um, with the business and only a month in this course. And we've seen tremendous success. I mean, absolutely tremendous success. But, um, I think as time kind of rolls out and that demand increases, um, my goal is to really scale oh, this and but, get some more but people I think involved. It's, it's important to really answer this question when you say demand is increasing. You know, are you putting money to work? You know, what is the CAC? What are the channels? Like, how deep are these channels? You know, are you trying to figure out how to put a dollar into a channel and get $3 back? You know, are you trying to figure out how to just let organic, you know, word of mouth take over? Are you trying to build your way into oh, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, millions. Um, so I'm, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's important. So you're asking for the, the growth aspect Well, of it. just what business are you building? What game are you playing? Like, you know, we were the earliest money behind Credit Karma as an example, and they capped out at 110 million customers before we sold the business to Intuit. Like, that's a very mm -hmm. different game, you know, than if you're trying to build out, you know, a business that really relies on, you know, organic word of mouth and, you know, a small amount of either proactive or free advertising on Facebook and Twitter, like they're, they're not the same. Um, you know, so you, you've got to figure out what you want to actually build. Yeah. And I, I think I have, I think I'm, I guess not really relaying this as far as the growth piece of it um, and organic, you know, traffic and stuff. I'm trying to, grow on social media, which I've done on Instagram, Twitter, um, and even Facebook and now TikTok. So and YouTube eventually. So I'm going to be 
organically growing through all those spaces, attracting people to my content, right? And so that's kind of free marketing in a sense, um, but it's also me doing the behind the scenes work to get that growth, you know, to occur. Um, I will be looking into marketing campaigns throughout the digital right. space to kind of increase that. Right. But in order to, um, in order to broaden your mission and your reach, you're talking about hiring people to manage a community. Each person that you hire is going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars loaded, maybe more. Um, you've got to think about like how many subscriptions you need in order to pay for this new cogs that you have, this new cost of goods, you know, which is really a community manager, you know, and you've got to leverage that across, yeah. you know, your, your member base. And by the way, content gets stale and you've got to reproduce content, you know, so it's, you know, there, there's a, an infomercial world where you sell DVDs, right? And, you know, I spent a lot of time way back in a day with Beachbody taking a look at them when General Atlantic was looking at them. And it's interesting to look at the economics of, you know, DVDs for fitness classes as they go out. You know, that's a very different business than trying to build, you know, a high engaged community with repeat purchases and, you know, a social aspect to it where you really have a central office you know, really managing the business itself, the community, you know, high engagement versus basically mailing out coursework and, you know, leaving customers on their own to either succeed or fail. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a good point. All right. I guess if uh, no other questions, thank you, Budget Dog, for coming. Everyone give him a quick, uh, yeah. quick follow. I guess we'll, we'll turn it over to Arnold. Um, give yourself a quick, uh, background and then uh get into it sir great thanks uh for for this uh, session it's awesome um so a little bit about me i'm based in miami uh have spent the last 20 years um in payments uh and banking particularly focused uh in latin america worked at uh, american express mastercard was part of the founding paypal team uh for latin america um and now i am head of uh, visa ventures uh, over at Visa, particularly investing in fintech in Latin America and managing sort of the BD teams, uh, specifically in fintech in the region. Um, so, you know, this is more of an idea that I've been researching for the last couple of months, and it has to do with essentially building uh, the largest Latin American payfac um, through sort of an acquisition play. Um, so rolling up um, payfacs that are currently operating in Latin America. Um, Payfacts are payment facilitators, so they uh, build software um, that essentially, um, you know, goes out to merchants so that merchants, small merchants can essentially accept digital payments. Um, and the reason this has been, um, you know, aside from knowing the space really well and knowing Latin America incredibly well, um, this is an area I think is, is ripe uh, for, for, you know, disruption or opportunity. Um, if you understand the, the credit card business, um, uh, Frank, which I do, I know you do. Um, on the on the issuing piece, you know, there's always threats, eventual threats of sort of disintermediation of the payment form factor. Uh, but one of the things that we've been seeing is uh, from the acceptance side, uh, a merchant will always need to accept a payment, whether that's done through uh, network rails or through crypto or through um, real time payments or whatever it is. So um, the thesis is that on the acceptance side, there there will be less disintermediation in the sense that merchants still need to accept payments. Um, and 
you know, in Latin America, for, for those of, of you that don't know also, uh, something called PCE penetration, which is personal consumption expenditure, um, in many markets, it's sort of in the mid, mid-teens, which means that most of the consumption, basic, basically most consumer spend in that market is done in cash. Um, and with the, with the acceleration of digital payments and digital commerce in Latin America, um, there is a tremendous white space still to be filled, right? Because in some of these markets, 80, 85% of transactions are still paid in cash, um, and there is a long, long tail of merchants, you know, call them sort of the mom and pop businesses or even some medium sized businesses that today do not accept uh, digital payments. And the idea is, um, as I said, it's sort of um, developing a, a roll up strategy. Um, this is a very fragmented uh, industry in Latin America. So you have you know, small players in Argentina that don't understand how to build a product roadmap. Um, uh, how to acquire customers more efficiently, and so forth. Um, and I currently sit on the board of a company called Clip in Mexico, uh, which is the largest uh, acquirer in, in, the, in the country uh, by number of merchants. So, you know, through, through uh, that role and, and seeing the company uh, over the last 10 years uh, develop, you know, I, I've gotten more, um, more convinced that there is an opportunity in, in Latin America. Um, and furthermore, I mean, there is an opportunity actually to take this model across different parts of the world. Um, I grew up part of my childhood in Africa. Um, so even in markets like that, frontier markets, emerging markets, um, where there's still a tremendous white space for uh, digital payments acceptance. Um, you know, I, I do think, again, that it is a, a, um, a very interesting opportunity. And it's, it's one that I've been spending the last couple of months sort of deep diving uh, even more, right? So in a nutshell, that's sort of um, who I am and, and you know, the, the idea that I've been um, munching on for, for the last couple of months. Yeah, I mean, uh, we know quite a bit about Latin America at QED. I think we have 30 fintech investments and, and prop tech investments, you know, in various countries. And it is just such a fascinating space to be right now. Anyone who isn't studying the trends in Latin America should. Um, in fact, I, I manage our domestic businesses. We have someone else managing the international businesses. We've got teams, you know, really just charging against different geographies. And I'm almost jealous of the Latin America team because there's so much fun stuff going on, you know, in Latin America where they can make a gigantic difference because of how bad, you know, some of the incumbents really are at what they do. Um, you know, so what I'll say is the, the idea that you're kind of kicking around, um, you know, sounds like one that has a lot of merit. Um, Roll-up strategies, though, they really are incredibly tricky when you're dealing with technology roll-ups. So, you know, roll-ups are all about efficiency. You know, roll-ups are all about taking something from the central office and being able to leverage it across, um, you know, larger scale. And when you're dealing with non-technology businesses, roll-ups are about geography and customer concentration. And, you know, you can see it, you know, take place in the real world. Right now, some of the biggest roll-ups that are happening, for instance, are in areas like um, fertility clinics, like private equity is rolling up fertility clinics. And they're you know, it's not really about anything but owning the geography and having a, a central, um, you know, SGNA function that really could be leveraged. Uh, size can actually leverage debt and help, you know, with uh, managing the different locations. 
Um, but when you're dealing with technology, you have to deal with technology stacks that might or might not talk to each other. And when you're rolling it up, you have to be very, very conscious of what you're buying and why. You know, are you buying just revenue? You know, are you able to leverage the central office across all of these geographies and all of these different tech stacks? Are you planning on having one anchor uh, acquisition that's going to be basically the acquirer of all the others? And is that going to be the management team that really manages the other rollups? Um, is it going to be the technology stack that you're going to use to basically replace the others and you know build technology on top of? Um, so it's, it's complicated in practice, even though it can look good on paper. You've got to be very deliberate about what you're rolling up and why and where you know, not just the customer benefit, the, the customer concentrate, customer, um, yeah, the, the customer benefit comes from, but you have to figure out, you know, where the value is going to come to basically, you know, the central office and rolling it up and figuring why the business model is better at size than it is fragmented. Got it. Awesome. Thanks for that feedback. I just want to. I just want to say that it's been uh, really informative just listening to Frank talk about some of this stuff, and just covering every every crevice. Like I have like a couple of questions written down, and he just blazed through them and added fourteen others that I didn't think of. I aim to please. <laughs> yeah, Frank's the best. I take credit. <laughs> Uh, let's see, Portfolio or Gav, any questions from you? Sorry, I'm just a little occupied. I'm about to break this fast. I'm 20, 25 hours in, so making the food. <laughs> Karang, what about you? I brought you up, sir. Uh, you're good, man. Um, yeah, I had network issues, so I had to push back a charting session. I wanted to ask the other speaker that was starting out. Um, I guess I'll try to find him. He's, he's trying to find his footing, and I think a lot of people gave him some good suggestions. Um, Gav, are you the one that does the, the Wolf, uh, the Little Friday show? Yeah, I'm, I'm the yeah, voice of Wolf Financial. Gotcha, yeah. man. Karang, yeah, uh, yeah, Karang, if you want to find yeah. him, you can find him at uh, Hero Dividend, at Hero Dividend. But uh, do you have any questions gotcha. for Arnold? Uh, yeah, uh, when you're talking about fintech, right, in, in Latin America being a definitely unsaturated market, you have uh, you know, Mercado Libre obviously coming into that area uh, as well as C-Limited. Uh, Visa and MasterCard, of course, those are the big guys. I mean, it, you probably know this Visa, right, back in 18 did, what, $2.1 trillion worth of transactions worldwide. And I think MasterCard had one5 Obviously, Alipay is, is growing where it's growing. Uh, I was just reading earlier today while I was listening to you guys. Uh, Paytm, which is uh, pretty big uh, over in India, uh, as a, obviously another fintech company. Uh, Alibaba, as well as SoftBank and uh, Berkshire Hathaway investors in into that region. Um, question for you, the total addressable market, are you focusing on Latin America and South America or just Latin America? No, um, the idea is all of Latin America. So from okay. uh, the Rio Grande South, basically. 
Okay. And yeah, look, there there are there are a lot of intermediaries. I work very closely with you know companies like you mentioned Mercado Libre, uh, Rappi, yeah. and some of these other ones. And um, you know, part of Mercado Libre has been, uh, particularly Mercado Pago, has done wonders on the acceptance side. Um, but you have sort of um, on-demand delivery platforms following sort of the path that you've seen in some markets in Southeast Asia, where they're transitioning sort of from food delivery to financial services, right? And uh, because they have scale, because they have, in some cases, you know, 125,000 restaurant or merchant partners, um, they they could essentially build their own acceptance network, right? So, uh, so the market's it's pretty broad. Um, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it is going to take a while for the the, the so-called uh, quote unquote cash conversion. Um, but there is a, a a need for you know for merchants to be able to accept um, digital payments, and that's sort of the, the thesis or the the fundamental idea is, you know, how do we enable more merchants to accept digital payments, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, definitely unsaturated market. Um, I know one thing: you, you have a lot of companies that are uh, obviously you work for Visa, so they're probably one of the, the large ones. I would have loved to see what would have happened if, if Visa had acquired, played, and, and been allowed to. I think uh, a lot of uh, Latin America, I mean, heck, a, a lot of our services we use, actually, I don't know if people realize this or not, uh, played actually links your, uh, your your checking account or you know your bank account to a lot of other uh, fintech services itself. So um, are you guys going also for mobile payment solutions? In, in those areas because you have so many um, different vendors that, that you try to uh, deal with, or are you guys just focusing more on doing the, the payment systems utilizing, I, I guess your mobile device. Well, I mean the, the, I guess the form factor of acceptance, you know, has traditionally been at least in, in Latin America has been, um, you know, if you want, if you're a merchant or you know, a small business and you want to accept a payment, you typically go to sort of, you know, these banking cartels because it's three or four banks that dominate the market. And, you know, you pay up and you go through this process of, you know, uh, filling out a ton of documents and in some cases having to, to put down some deposits and all that. Um, so the idea is to eliminate sort of that process, right? And uh, you can do it through QR, you can through it to, through dongles, uh, you can do it through soft POS. So it's essentially, you know, accepting payments through through the phone. There's, there's a bunch of different ways to accept payments that you can enable. Um, the, the key is how do you how do you extend this to sort of the long tail, um, you know? And in the case of companies like Clip, you know, the lady selling tacos in downtown Mexico City today can accept you know a Visa or a Mastercard or an American Express payment, right? Um, and it's through a simple dongle on the phone, right? So um, the 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 idea is whatever makes acceptance easier to adopt on the on the merchant side, right? Yeah, and I think interesting. Yeah, I mean the the uh, interesting observation though in some of these markets, and I think you know Brazil and Mexico are two of the bigger ones. Um, you know, there are all these very unique bespoke uh, delivery systems and networks where at that last mile or at the point of actually delivering the goods is almost a point of sale opportunity for payments. Yeah. And, you know, we have a company, Tienda Pago, you know, that does this in some geographies. And there are a lot of other versions of this, you know, throughout Latin America um, because they have a payments problem. 
right? If, if the person on the other end doesn't have a way to actually, you know, make easy digital payment or even borrow money, um, you know, or extend terms 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, they can't buy as much merchandise. And if you can solve that issue, then, you know, the company that's selling Coca-Cola to them, you know, and distributing it can sell more. So you, you find a lot of these bespoke, you know, uh, payment solutions that are really starting to gear up with the merchant and, you know, the distribution needing someone in the middle to deliver fintech solutions. You're seeing the same with a lot of other, you know, pretty unique um, business models that are being created around trucking or being created around farming, um, where they've got very interesting payment issues and AP and AR issues that fintech can really play a pivotal role in and build, you know, creating transparency, moving money in a seamless way, um, you know, and potentially even extending terms and lending money. So I, I just find Latin America fascinating because the problems, you need to stare at the actual distribution and value chain and watch the actual money flow. And you'll see that there are these incredible pain points and choke points, you know, for various businesses. Um, and if you can insert a fintech solution, that choke point can disappear and you can build a gigantic business around it. You know, uh, one I thing wanna, I want to take you back on that real quick. I was going to ask Arnold, um, forgive my ignorance, but isn't there isn't one of the pain points in uh, Latin America uh, that there's a large constituency of the unbanked? Um, so um, that's one. And then the second question I wanted to ask is, um, are any of these solutions, and I'm not like a crypto you know, zealot or anything like that, but are any of these solutions being mitigated or any of these issues being mitigated by any of these crypto technologies if you have any yeah, was, on that was going to be a question i had as well as far as non-custodial how that plays into fin uh you know fintech and stuff is there like the lightning network for example is that yeah how does that uh, work for the market share of that in particular yeah so on the first question undoubtedly um latin america in, in fact a lot of sort of pitch decks that I come across, you know, all starts out with like X millions of people are unbanked. Um, so that, that is, that is definitely, you know, a, a big issue, uh, you know, and it varies by countries. You look at Mexico and, you know, it depends where you look, um, like 50 to 60% of the population is unbanked. Then you go to Brazil and it's actually much better. And you go to markets like Costa Rica, and it's like 70%. And so, so it varies across the region. But yes, um, there is a significant population that is unbanked or underbanked. Um, and the, the, the thing with Latin America is that it's not, it's not a region where you can say, okay, let's do something in Mexico and then just roll it out across you know, all, all uh, 38 different countries, right? Uh, in the Caribbean and, and, and the mainland. Uh, because every country has very distinct regulations. In Mexico, you know, um, if you, there's different types of debit cards and prepaid cards, and you need to satisfy uh, specific uh, KYC requirements if you want to um, provide different products, different card products to different customers. So yes, the answer is yes. There's a there's a tremendous um, uh, unbanked opportunity there. Uh, and then on the on the crypto side, um, so funny enough, before Visa, I was at a company called Abra. And we were trying to, at least the thesis was, we were trying to, um, you know, enable cross-border remittances 
through through crypto, uh, through the Abra wallet. And the other piece was we were trying to enable acceptance. Um, the challenge was that back in 2016, um, in the market that we were trying to launch the acceptance piece with Abra, um, Mexico was undergoing this transition of actually creating a fintech law. So one of the key parts of you know uh, acceptance, at least from from a from a crypto perspective, is the on and off ramps. So merchants said, "Oh, this is great! You know, uh, a super low MDR to be able to accept a payment from another Abra from an Abra customer." How do I get the cash out, right? And the reality is, you know, absolutely no one wanted to touch us in Mexico back in 2016, because as soon as they were heard the word Bitcoin, then they said, well, it, it's not illegal, but it's not legal. So, you know, we're unwilling to provide um, the off ramp for merchants um, to, to basically withdraw from the Abra wallet every time they receive a payment for a good or service, right? Um, and things have changed. Look, I, I have a friend that you know has a company called Bitso, and you know they're they're looking certainly at, at this space uh, to an extent. I think there's a ton of promise um, in, in the space and how you can solve some of these acceptance, but in general, other payment issues through through crypto. And um, yes, the, the you know uh, the, the Lightning Network in in as they're launching in, in El Salvador, I think will will you know pose some interesting learnings uh, for the region. But I'm very hopeful in the in the in the opportunity to to you know make crypto useful from for, from an acceptance perspective as well. Yeah. I find it interesting. Uh, I just wanted to add this. Uh, so you know, Ber Berkshire, it's interesting that that you guys are also probably utilizing this aspect. Uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, but Berkshire had invested into Liberty Latin America Communications. I believe John Malone, the, the former head of uh, Liberty Media had uh, kick-started it. So they are building the infrastructure uh, to utilize, you know, their, their mobile devices for this type of, uh, obviously, merger of uh, fintech. So I, I didn't know if you're aware of that or not. So. Yeah, I, I think, I believe Liberty had acquired Millicom. And, um, you know, Millicom is, is uh, a you know, mobile operator, and they have a brand called Tigo. Um, and Tigo, you know, because they have a large presence in, in, in markets in Latin America and some markets in Latin America, um, what better way to sort of distribute financial services and payments um, when you already have customers with, with cell phones, right? Um, I, I, I don't know. At least in Latin America, I have not seen a case um, where these mobile network operators have been successful um, in scaling, you know, mobile wallets and payments and things around that. Um, well, no, I was just talking about the network infrastructure yeah. because um, quite a few regions you were also mentioning, you know, even the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, obviously, that once back in 17 and 18 yeah. had a plethora of hurricanes. Yep. So they actually ended up acquiring even Puerto Rico's um, network infrastructure. So I, I know one thing that uh, obviously fintech is growing. I mean, I'm sure most people on this uh, space either know what Venmo or PayPal and, and these other types of services, but it, it's, uh, it works hand in hand. Uh, I just, for whatever reason, uh, came up with that. Uh, I, I obviously read their 13 Fs and uh, it was interesting when it came to the timing. 
even with Mercado Libre and uh, obviously C Limited, yep. um, they're trying to get into that in Stone Company as well. So yep. Visa's network of uh, vendors, obviously nobody usually can touch you guys. And it is what it is. I think it's uh, going to be interesting to see how that um, un- untapped market or undersaturated market um, definitely develops. Yeah. And uh, thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah. Bitso happens to be one of our investments. And I would suggest if you're spending time with them, spend more time. You know, some of the things that you're looking at doing, um, you know, they have their their eyes set on it. So a uh, yep. very interesting company growing extraordinarily fast and um, definitely a company to watch. Awesome. Alrighty, I guess uh, any other comments from our speakers up here? No. OK, Gab, are you are you still here? Uh, Chad, my mic wasn't working. I was just gonna say, yeah. really, really interesting space. Um, really awesome untapped potential. I learned a lot about Latin America. Yeah, mine's, mine's Thanks, working. Thanks, Chad. Too. Yeah, uh, Gav, over to you. Yeah, I, th- I think this was great. I think these spaces are super valuable, and I'm, you know, hoping that some people in the crowd want to pitch their products, their ideas, get some. Uh, voices around their business and get some publicity because we'll hopefully run this back again next week, but I got to hop off. Already, already, Gav, have a good night. So yeah, next week we're going to do the same exact thing. Uh, I'm planning on doing this almost every single Sunday, 5 p.m. PST. I hope, Frank, uh, you can come as well. Everyone in the audience, just give it, go ahead and give a quick follow to everyone on the panel here. They all put out great content um, for a number of different topics. Um, But also, just before everyone leaves as well, we've got, I've got a number of different spaces planned for this week. Uh, but before I get to that, I want to uh, at least give everyone on the panel last comment here. So Frank, I will, uh, I'll give you the first uh, last comment here. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on the space. Um, you know, I, I find Twitter and the community actually incredibly valuable if you're following the right people and engaging with the community. Um, I actually discovered Twitter in a lot of ways this last year as my, uh, uh, you know, my excuse for interacting with people (laughs) instead of just staying in my four walls and, you know, missing the serendipity of walking around San Francisco or New York or Chicago or Miami, you know, and meeting people. And I found that I've met incredible people who are also incredibly helpful, um, you know, on Twitter. So I would say keep at it. Um, anyone who's on this apparently likes Twitter, but go find people and, you know, go interact with them. And I think you'll find that the community is very vibrant. And as for the people that, you know, uh, presented to us today, I I would say just keep at it. You know, not every business idea is fully formed from, you know, the minute that you start working on it, but, you know, spend some time maybe taking a step backwards before you take a step forward and really be intentional about what you want to build and why. Uh, Don't just start doing, you know, but figure out what your goals are. You know, I I write a fair bit about, you know, the problem statement and the solution statement. And, you know, anybody who wants to look back on some of my older threads, I think it's good generic advice for, you know, how you frame a business and how you think about, you know, building something from the ground up. So I would say keep at it, but be intentional. That's the main advice I would give. Definitely. And uh, before I go over to the rest of the speakers for a final comment here, if anyone wants to pitch next weekend, just DM me. Uh, I have a number of different things or a number of different companies that are asking to come on next week. Don't be scared. We're not uh, we're not here to hurt you. 
we're just trying to give you feedback. And also, I think it's extremely helpful to the audience as well that's possibly thinking about starting a company in the near future. But um, I will go over to, to you, Wolfie. If you're still there, I guess, uh, I guess not. Portfolio Og. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm here. My mic just keeps, uh, oh, okay, okay. keeps freezing. No, I, I just, uh, just reiterate uh, a lot of, I learned a lot about Latin America in general, payment solutions and whatnot. Um, and I reiterate what Frank said. Uh, sometimes you're going to hear things along the way that you didn't necessarily go the way you thought about it in your head. It's a, it's a battle within yourself and just keep at it. Definitely. And then uh, lastly to you, Portfolio Hawk. So, Chad, thanks for hosting this. And all of you that are in here, I would compel you to follow Chad. He sets up amazing spaces where a lot of us can come together and get outside of our proverbial four walls or even literal four walls, uh, like Frank referenced. And I think my biggest point that I want to emphasize is, uh, and Frank honed in on this several times, is that, you know, identify the void that you're filling in a marketplace. Uh, if that's not what you're looking to do, then call it a passion project and not, not a business until uh, you can do that. Uh, but outside of that, um, you know, thanks for hosting this and thanks for having me up here. Definitely. Definitely. And then just to go into uh, some of the spaces I'm hosting over this next week, uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m. PST, I'm hosting a space with the guys over at Payload Space. Uh, they do a number of different things on, on the business and policy of space. I'm excited for that. Tuesday, I'm going to be doing with Portfolio Hawk and uh, another couple guys. It's going to be a Bitcoin Maxi versus no coiner uh, debate um, on four central topics. And then on Wednesday, we'll do, we're changing this up. We're going to do uh, this week in FinTwit at 4 p.m. PST and then head over to StockTwit's uh, regular. Uh, edition of their weekly space that's going to be on apple uh this week with with ross gerber and a number of other people and then thursday a lot more serious space uh this week in markets which is more focused on on capital markets crypto and and the stock market and then uh i don't have anything yet set up for friday and then saturday nothing as well and then back to this next sunday at 5 p.m pst so if you like this if you want to pitch uh just dm me and uh we'll go from there but again thanks to all the speakers have a great Sunday night and I will uh, I'll see you all soon. Thank you again.